listening to So So Speaks, a different kind of podcast where each week we discuss everything and anything that matters. No boundaries, no limitations, just real conversations, real stories, and real facts. What's up, guys? Sona here. And yes, I have been gone a very, very long time. I was actually working on what was supposed to be episode two, which required a lot of research. The research is done, so now I just have to record the episode. But with everything that's happened in the media recently regarding Jeffrey Epstein, I decided that that was something that I want to talk about. So today's episode is going to be talking about whether I think Jeffrey Epstein was murdered or not. But before we get into the episode, I do want to get something off of my chest. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. And I decided that I'm kind of going to alter the direction in which my podcast is going. And I know that I've only had one episode out, so there's not much to alter. But I decided that, you know, a lot of the podcasts out there are super candid, super interactive, super spontaneous, and it's people having conversations. And you kind of get a feel for the real person of the person and that's what I want to do so my podcast is definitely going to be much more spontaneous and interactive from here on out regardless of whether I do it alone or whether I have a guest on with me that's just how I feel about it I started this podcast to be able to talk about things that interest me and that's what the focus is going to be I was very conscious for the first episode you know about the mistakes that I made it would take me sometimes 15 to 20 minutes to record one clip because I kept doing it over and over and over again because I made a mistake here or I breathed too hard there and that's not why I started this I didn't start this to you know to be confined I started this to have an open dialogue with my audience with the people that are listening and so that's what I'm going to do so with that being said let's get into it Okay, first things first. Um, Obviously, in this episode, I'm going to be talking about whether I think he was murdered or not and why. But maybe some of you don't know who he was. He's been in the news a lot recently. But uh, Jeffrey Epstein, who is now deceased, was a wealthy money manager. But he was also a convicted sex offender. He was a pedophile. And he was actually convicted of this. In 2006, he was charged with multiple counts of unlawful sex acts with a minor. In 2007, he got a plea deal and in 2008 he was sentenced to 18 months in jail of which he only served 13 months and then he did one year probation on house arrest and that's not even the crazy part the crazy part is when he was in jail he had his own private wing he had his own private security team and he was also allowed to work six days a week for up to 12 hours a day so to say he got off lightly is putting it mildly So after he was released, he essentially went back to doing what got him convicted in the first place. But the thing about this case is that he was part of the 1% and his friends were part of the 1%. And so he was accused of running an elite sex trafficking ring, meaning that he was providing young girls to these prominent members of society. And I 100% believe that that's the case. But if you look at the type of friends that he had and the people that he surrounded himself with, it's kind of scary. 
His friends are extremely well-known and important members of society. I am talking about Prince Andrew, Donald Trump, former President Clinton. In fact, in 2002 and 2003, former President Clinton took four trips with Jeffrey Epstein in his private jet to Europe, Asia, and Africa. Now, let's say for the sake of argument that just because he had all these prominent members of society as his friends doesn't mean that they were involved in whatever it was that he was involved in. The thing is, we don't really know much about his 2008 conviction. Well, we didn't until a few days ago because on August 9th, the day before he committed suicide, and I'm saying suicide in inverted commas, the day before he committed suicide, they unsealed hundreds of pages from that court case, okay? And the thing is, once you go into those documents, which I did, but they're so long that there's a lot of information to process, but once you look at those documents, you notice how light he got off. Not only did he get off extremely lightly, he had co-conspirators that we don't know about, whose names weren't mentioned. Not only did he have co-conspirators, they were granted immunity. Can you imagine being granted immunity for a crime this horrific? He was a pedophile and he was raping young girls and he had co-conspirators that were granted immunity. If you are granted immunity for a crime that horrific, you must have some sort of influence. That's not even the half of it. So the person that was on the case that was supposed to be prosecuting Jeffrey Epstein is none other than Alexander Acosta. He is the former federal prosecutor in Florida. He was the one that was on the case and he was the one that gave Jeffrey Epstein the deal. Why does he sound familiar? Because he was Trump's labor secretary. But he resigned because people couldn't understand why he gave Jeffrey Epstein a deal. And when asked about it, he said that he was told Jeffrey Epstein was part of the intelligence community and to leave it alone. That's a whole other story. We'll get to that later. So one of the documents that was unsealed was a 2015 defamation suit brought against a certain Ghislaine Maxwell by Virginia L. Giffre, who is Jeffrey Epstein's victim. She is one of his victims. And Ghislaine Maxwell, who is a British socialite, was very, very, very good friends with Jeffrey Epstein. So according to Giffre, Maxwell played an integral part in the sex trafficking of young girls. Apparently, she was the one that was recruiting young girls for not only Jeffrey Epstein, but for his friends as well. And Giffre says that she was forced to participate in lewd acts with not only Jeffrey Epstein, not only his friends, but with Maxwell as well. So Maxwell is allegedly also a pedophile, which is disgusting. And this suit has some very interesting information. So that's what we're going to talk about now. So before I get into the actual details of the document itself, I just have to explain how this defamation suit came about. So essentially, Maxwell, who I mentioned was Jeffrey Epstein's really good friend, she issued a defamatory statement for the press to publish against Giffre, the victim, calling her a liar, basically. And so Giffre decided to take Maxwell to court for defamation of character. So that's the document that I have in front of me now that I'm going to talk about briefly because it's extremely long. 
But the evidence in here is extremely damning. And it's crazy to me how they managed to get away with this for so long. I mean, I have some ideas how they managed to get away with it for so long. But it's just absurd that for one, it was only just unsealed on the 9th of August. I think it's ironic that Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide the day after the documents were unsealed. Uh, Two, apparently Maxwell's father had ties with intelligence, more specifically with Mossad. But we'll get into the intelligence part of this whole saga a bit later, because that in itself might just be its own episode. Because once you start going down the rabbit hole, it just gets deeper and deeper. Alright, now that we've gotten the premise of the defamation suit out of the way, I can talk about the contents of the document. And for that, I'm just going to read some of the information that is in the table of contents itself. Um, But before we do that, once again, I just want to clarify some things. For those of you that aren't familiar with legal language, legal jargon, the plaintiff is Giffray, the one that brought the suit, and then the defendant is Maxwell, because it says defendant plaintiff. So the plaintiff is the victim and defendant is the one that the suit was brought against, which in this case is Maxwell. So I'm just going to read some of the undisputed facts because it starts off with a preliminary statement, which is essentially an introduction. And then it goes into undisputed facts, which means this is some of the facts that they have been able to corroborate regarding the situation. After that, it goes into concrete material evidence. And we'll talk about that as well. So when the lawsuit, the defamation suit, was brought against Maxwell, she said that, no, she didn't say any defamatory statements. It was actually issued by her lawyer who did it on her behalf, but that it was legal opinion. It was of legal opinion, so it wasn't defamatory in any way. However, according to this document, that is not the case. There is evidence that proves that Miss Giffray was correct in her accusations against not only Maxwell, but Jeffrey Epstein as well. It is an undisputed fact that multiple witnesses deposed in this case have testified that the defendant operated as convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein's procurer of underage girls. It is an undisputed fact that one of the witnesses testified that the defendant lured her from her school to have sex with Epstein under the guise of hiring her for a job answering phones. It is an undisputed fact that one of the witnesses testified that the defendant would call him to bring over underage girls and that the defendant and Epstein would have threesomes with Miss Giffray. It is an undisputed fact that Jeffrey Epstein's pilot, David Rogers, testified that he flew the defendant and Ms. Giffray at least 23 times on Epstein's jet, the Lolita Express, and that GM on the flight logs stands for Ghislaine Maxwell. Now, let's talk about the name of this jet for a minute. Lolita Express. I don't know if those of you listening are familiar with the book Lolita, but I'm going to tell you what it's about. And if that doesn't tell you everything that you need to know about the type of person that Jeffrey Epstein was, then I don't know what will. Lolita is a 1955 novel in which the protagonist, a middle-aged literature professor, becomes obsessed with a 12-year-old girl with whom 
he becomes sexually involved with after he becomes her stepfather. So the fact that Jeffrey Epstein named his plane Lolita Express says all it needs to say. I mean, electric chair. That's it. Literally, if there was ever any doubt, there isn't any anymore. All right, so going back to the document and the undisputed facts, something that I found really interesting was that there were two witnesses, Sarah Kellen and Nadia Markinkova, who when asked about Maxwell's involvement with Jeffrey Epstein and trafficking young girls, pled the fifth. And so for those of you that don't know what pleading the fifth is, it's when you decide not to speak on a certain topic and you don't answer questions pertaining to it. And I'm talking about legally. Um, so they pled the fifth. Jeffrey Epstein also pled the fifth when he was asked about Maxwell, which is unsurprising. Well, when you plead the fifth, it's generally so that you don't self-incriminate. So they pled the fifth, but they also didn't testify for Maxwell. Maxwell actually couldn't find one person to testify on her behalf and say that this is false and that she wasn't involved in the trafficking of young girls. So all of this is pretty damning. It's pretty convincing that Maxwell was helping Jeffrey Epstein get young girls. Not only that, we haven't even gotten to the documentary evidence yet. So that's what we're going to talk about now. All right, so moving on to documentary evidence. And in this case, it means evidence in the form of documents. It's also a legal term. So based off of the documentary evidence, there is proof that shows that the defendant trafficked Miss Chiffre and procured her for sex with convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein while she was underage. So Maxwell knew that Jeffrey Epstein was a convicted pedophile and she was partaking in the procuring of young girls girls to have sex with him and other prominent members of society. So as I mentioned earlier, one of the key pieces of information that they have, one of the key pieces of evidence rather that they have are the flight logs. And it shows, well, they show that Maxwell traveled 21 times with Giffre when Giffre was a minor on Jeffrey Epstein's private jet. And when she was asked about these trips, she had no legal explanation for why she was traveling with a minor on a convicted pedophile's jet. And six of those flights were international. Okay, so I just realized that I never fully explained how Virginia Roberts Giffre was involved with Maxwell as well as Jeffrey Epstein, which is very important, so I totally missed that. But Giffre was working at the spa at Mar-a-Lago Club, which is owned by none other than Donald Trump. And that's where she was approached by Maxwell, and Maxwell subsequently introduced her to Jeffrey Epstein, and that's when her abuse began. But why a minor would be working in the spa of a country club in itself is a bit suspect to me but she did mention how her goal was to become a masseuse and that's what Jeffrey Epstein and Maxwell played on so that makes sense but at the end of the day still a bit suspect still a bit sketchy So other than the flight logs in the document, there are photographs that were provided by Giffre as evidence. So some of these photographs are her as a teenager traveling with Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. One of them, for instance, is at Jeffrey Epstein's New Mexico ranch, where a lot of the abuse happened. Another photo is of Maxwell, Giffre, and Prince Andrew. And Prince Andrew has his arm around Giffre. She's a teenager in the photo. It's very clear that 
that she's a minor. Another one of the photos is of a prepubescent girl. And this one is blurred for obvious reasons because in the photo, her pants are down. And this is supposedly one of the girls that they recruited. Um, the photo was subsequently confiscated by the FBI because obviously it was another victim that didn't have to do with this case. But you can see the photo in the document. Even though it's blurred, it's very clear what the circumstance is. So as you can imagine, there are a lot of pieces of documentary evidence that they have compiled here. So I'm just going to talk about a few of them. So I've spoken about the flight logs, the photographs, and now I'm going to talk about the black book. And the story behind the black book is very interesting. Not only just the book itself and its contents, but what happened with the book and the butler. So Ghislaine Maxwell and Epstein maintained this black book and they had it in their residence in Florida. And it says their residence. So apparently they live together. And in this defamation suit, it states the following. Palm Beach police confiscated an extensive list of contacts with their phone numbers from Maxwell and Epstein's residence. Ghislaine Maxwell maintained a contact list in an approximately 100 page long hard copy, which was openly available to other house employees. It consisted primarily of telephone numbers, addresses, or email addresses for various personal friends, associates, employees, or personal or business connections of Epstein or Maxwell. Prior to being terminated by Maxwell, the Palm Beach House butler, Alfredo Rodriguez, printed a copy of this document and ultimately provided it to the FBI. This document reflects the numerous phone numbers of defendant Epstein as well as staff phone numbers. Additionally, and importantly, there are several sections in titled Massage, alongside a geographical designation with names of females and corresponding telephone numbers. These numbers included those of underage females with no training in massage therapy, including those who were identified during the criminal investigation of Epstein. This document is an authentic reflection of the people who were associated with Epstein, Maxwell, and the management of their properties, and the knowledge each had of the contents of the document. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this black book is the key to everything. There are names in there that I'm sure a lot of people don't want to come to light. Now, remember that this black book was confiscated by the FBI for Jeffrey Epstein's initial arrest. This is in 2008. Since then, no names have come to light. Nothing that is in that book has come to light. Now, we know that Alfredo Rodriguez, the butler, tried to sell this information. He wouldn't have tried to sell any information unless there were names in there that would have given him a pretty penny. If there were names in there that would have caused certain rich people a lot of hell, him selling it would have made him a lot of money. But that's not the intriguing part about this situation. The intriguing part about this situation is the fact that he was arrested for obstruction of justice by the FBI. He had made a copy of this book. How they knew he had made a copy is not made clear. I'm assuming that's why he was fired by Maxwell, because he made a copy of this book. So the FBI told him to hand over all information that he had. They subpoenaed him. And supposedly, he didn't do that. He tried to sell it instead, and then that's how he was charged with obstruction of justice. Now, the document that refers to this case, where he was charged with obstruction of justice, is readily available on the FBI website. But... What I found interesting when looking over it is there are a lot of things that are blacked out, a lot of names that are blacked out that you can't see. So when I started this episode, I thought, you know, I'm just going to talk about what I think happened with Jeffrey Epstein, 
go over the facts of the case, give my conclusion, and that will be that. But frankly, the more I research, the more questions I have, the more research I need to do. And so there's definitely going to be a part two. So in part two, we're going to talk about the butler, Alfredo Rodriguez, and how he came to be charged with obstruction of justice. And then we're going to go over why people think Jeffrey Epstein was part of intelligence. Apparently, Maxwell's father has ties with Mossad. These are all very important, pertinent things, because what we don't realize is that these rich people, they run things. Intelligence exists. The CIA exists. These are not just us putting on tinfoil hats. Intelligence communities exist, and they exist for a reason. And the Black Book has been in possession of the FBI since 2008, if not before. So why have they not brought all of that information to light and mentioned these prominent members of society that are part of this child sex trafficking ring? Because these are the people who are running our country. These are the people that we put our trust in. These are the last people we would expect to participate in something like exist and yet they do so stay tuned for part two where we go into even more detail on this situation on intelligence communities was jeffrey epstein murdered is maxwell's father part of Mossad? we're going to try and find out the truth